0: grief is something that needs to be addressed with great care it's a huge amount of stress but even more acutely than that when you lose someone that you love if you do not take the time to grieve that grief lives inside the body it does not go away on its own time does not heal all wounds it simply lives inside the body it gets stored and usually unprocessed emotions get turned into disease over time it's a lack of attention in the body that creates disease much of the time so the process of grieving is a process of slowing down and giving our attention to what is waiting for us to give our attention to it
1: welcome to neurons to nirvana a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry humanity innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms, from inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe. This is Neurons to Nirvana. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm really glad that you could join me because I wanted to talk to you about your, what has now become your life's work. It'll all sort of be correlated, but how you came to be a, a coach and also just talk about a number of things. I've listened to a podcast you've been on where if you've ever listened to my podcast, I speak to providing options to help men and women. Address their their needs and to alleviate depression, anxiety, PTSD. Because as you will know, uh, we we're coming out of a pandemic, but right now, one of the byproducts and something that has been an issue even prior to the pandemic is mental health. In fact, I like to say it's becoming an epidemic in itself. Why don't we start with your own? So you've had your own struggles with uh, depression and anxiety. Yes. How did that come about and drive you into your life's work? Well, thank you for that question. The truth is, is that being a human has certain residue. We
0: call them emotions. There's been so many ups and downs in my life and I've had an incredibly blessed life, yet still with all of the the many blessings, it it still became very challenging at, at certain points for me to, to be able to get up in the morning and there were times where i felt it was very very challenging to breathe i stored a lot of my uh, emotional baggage on my chest and so i i, I found myself a parent at 18 and that closed a lot of doors for me and opened up a very important path that has become a spiritual journey for me but it started out as severe anxiety and depression. I moved out to California, uh, born and raised in Arkansas, went to be a a small fish in an absolutely massive ocean, wanted to, had aspirations of being a a musician, a performer, uh, ended up becoming a parent and finding myself in these really dead end jobs, felt incredibly trapped and had no sense of voice or autonomy to speak on my own behalf. I didn't. I didn't say, "Oh, I, I don't want this. I'm not going to go down this path." I, I simply went into it and considered myself an unconscious prisoner. Uh, that trap. Oh, that trap took. Well, I, I've been in the process of getting out of that trap ever since. But I, I came to know intrusive thoughts. I came to know um, debilitating depression very personally, and. It damaged my relationships it it damaged my sense of self and i believed myself to be powerless and to have have no real autonomy or authority over my life and i I carried that general theme from relationship to relationship hoping that a woman would save me um, and then got married with that still unconsciously operating in the background and put a tremendous amount of pressure on my wife to produce my happiness for me. And it was when my second child was born that she became unable to support that illusion for me. And I went through my own dark night of the soul where the rug was taken out from under me, the the illusion uh, faded, and it turns out that I was actually I was actually living very much inside of my uh, unconscious conditioning. My my wound was running the show. Uh, as something that's in, in that book that you sh- held up earlier, uh, Robert Bly's Iron John, he says that there's a wounded person inside of all of us. And if we don't know that, then they're the one that's running our lives. And so uh, my wound was running my life. And it was ruining my relationships. So around uh, the time that my wife so lovingly stopped giving me all of that uh, affection that was rightfully due to my son, when 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 it finally went all to him, um, I I realized the this glaring mother wound that I had been avoiding, and I I I went down into it. I fell into it. Uh, as you can fall in love, I fell into despair, and that felt like the worst time in my life. It was the most painful. It was excruciating. I was on fire. I was writing some of the best music in my life, really had access to my pain. And that can create some amazing art. But it was also the catalyst for me waking up. And at the time, I, I don't think I could have possibly seen what a gift it was to have it all taken away like that. But now I couldn't be more grateful for it your tragedies become your treasures. When you explore your wounds, you find your gifts. And I found that I was actually strong enough to support myself. I found that I I had been denying myself an opportunity to, to find purpose, to find mission, to find something that could fill my belly so that I wasn't trying to get it all from my wife. And that's where I found coaching. It was actually in finding a coach for myself. It was the question you know. shortly after this dark night, it, it, uh, the pandemic occurred, and my, my uh, career as a photographer was uh, dwindling. And I was actually mildly grateful for it because it, was, it forced me to ask the question, what do I want to do with my life? And the first image that came to mind, and it came to mind with a full body, full heart sensation, is I want to sit around the campfire with a group of men talking about the meaning of life. I was wondering how on earth could I make that a profession and I started looking it up and it turns out there are people that do this and I found a man that had been doing it uh Dan Doty founder of Everyman he'd been a wilderness guide, taking groups of people out into the wilderness to, a group of teenage boys reading them Siddhartha around the campfire every night and I said okay this this guy uh this guy knows where it's at he took me under his wing like a, a big brother character and brought me into a, a, a cohort of fathers that, that really catalyzed and, and catapulted my, my, my crystallization in, into who I am now, um, who, I, who I more truly am than the person I was performing to be for my wife, this, this um, image-based version of myself that fell down like a house of cards when everything was, uh, was revealed. And so, sort of like the a phoenix from the ashes, I, I've been uh, given an opportunity to be more genuine and find my voice and do what I really want to do. And that's that's been deep diving into the creative process. It's it's been um, going out into the wilderness with people. Um, it's been talking to people about their pain, about their sorrow, about their wound, because that is that's the catalyst for great change in someone's life. It's an opportunity for awakening, and. I, I'm absolutely lit up by the process, and, and I, it's it's been a long journey to figure out how I can actually be of service to people. And most acutely, I work with fathers, uh, men who have learned to love something more than themselves, men who have been uh, forced to realize that there is something more important than themselves. And it is an honor to do this work, and it's also deeply humbling because it forces me to constantly look at my shit. I'm, I'm constantly having to rake myself over the coals. <laughs> And find what am I not paying attention to? Uh, What am I ignoring? And uh, honestly, that's part of the, one of the most exciting things about this work is that I have to be honest. I have to be truly who I am. It sort of holds me accountable. So that's, that's sort of the the nutshell version of where I've been,
1: what I've been through and and why I'm doing what I'm doing. I love that. You started this, you're, your program where you're taking men out in where Northwest Arkansas camping? Yeah, 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 just camping in the Ozark Mountains. When did that start
0: exactly? I started my first retreat ever was last fall. It was on the back of basically being goaded by by my coach Dan Doty. Why don't you just fucking do it, man? Just you know, you you're, you're talking about you this burning thing in your heart. Go do it. And it was one of the most transformative experiences in my life. I literally. Uh, it was the first time I ever genuinely felt like a leader, and what I was leading people in was was loving each other, was was just being honest versions of themselves, playing music, being silly, being real, being raw, and and then they got to see just how amazing other people are when their their truth is displayed, and it was easy for them to to love each other like friends, like brothers, uh, and just just a weekend and that's just what's available to
1: us as human beings when we open up to each other when we when we live in truth when you first started the program and they came to you were they come all from all walks of life did they have similar issues i mean i'm sure there was some overlap but what did you encounter i encountered a lot of men who were leaders
0: in their own life in their own family uh, in their own business and many of them you know ran ran groups one of them was a the ceo of a company they knew how to hold the reins of their projects but found that they didn't have access to something inside and i would say that the short and sweet of it is something along the lines of self approval something along the lines of of being able to express their own heart their own creativity you know we're we're taught not just you know from society, but from our from our brothers, from our fathers, from, from our mothers, even we're, we're taught that uh, it's sometimes very unsafe to feel our emotions, to express our emotions. And it's easier in many ways to close them off. And the thing is that the emotions are full of information. they're full of creative energy, they're full of life and they're, they are the fuel for creative energy. They are what lives inside of the song whenever I'm uh, singing it into being. It's 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 speaking most powerfully and most acutely when it's coming directly from my heart. And sometimes that means it's weeping. Sometimes it means it's anger. And those, for me, particularly, anger is one of the things that was not safe. It was not safe to feel my anger, to express it. And that, that kept me in a very tiny box, and it pressurized my anger so that it would be explosive. And so just being able to come into a space of other men, there's a thing about being around a group of other men is that they don't hold the same kind of judgments or criticisms and you're not worried about their, they don't need anything from you. And you enter a group of of women and group of sisters, which I actually was most acclimated to growing up. It's actually something that's been a void in my life that I've intentionally cultivated groups of men now um, because groups of women, I I found that I needed to be uh, more careful, more gentle, more conscientious with my words, which is appropriate. It's an appropriate form of being socialized. But there's something that you can release around a group of men where you can be absolutely crass. You can be straight up aggressive <laughs> and, and they can right. hold it. They're big enough to hold it for you. And... That's basically what what a group, a men's group is, or or a men's retreat is. is It's a container that's intentionally big enough to hold whatever you got. It's your, You 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 need to grieve for the first time ever. You need to dance or sing in front of people for the first time ever. You need to like get down on your hands and knees and growl. What what is it? You know, like what what is inside you that has been totally squashed out? You know, and there's. There's something that is very, very liberating about being. I mean, sometimes you just want to fart and laugh. I mean, that's that's just the, the truth that you just want to, <laughs> you want to dick around and you want to be uncareful about yeah. your words. And so, I think that's something that you can relate to. Um, both of us probably have uh, had admiration and aspirations uh, of being a comedian. Like the something about when Dave Chappelle gets up there and tells the truth it it sounds so awful and painful to the ears but at the same time you're like thank god somebody said that crazy thing that's going on inside my head like to release the truth is is really what we're all about here it's just living with what is
1: you said you started this last year but how many groups have have come through your program uh, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head. I've only run uh,
0: a couple of retreats and I've, I've run an online program called Song for the Soul. Song for the Soul is actually a, a deeply precious project to me where we use songwriting as a healing modality, as a, as a way of processing grief very, with a very intentional structure around that, but also as a way of, of deeply expressing uh, our, our truth that has been um, obfuscated from us. Uh, a way of getting to know ourselves and getting to know our stories, whether they're the unconscious stories we tell ourselves. And, you know, this is the story that I have about my father. And it turns out that that story is actually a way uh, that has been part of this emotional block that I have with my father. And by looking through that, we can shine that light that pierces through the clouds. The, The underlying grief or pain or sorrow or loss is allowed to be released and in just a, just the process of speaking, there's such powerful lyrical content in that. I'm As a songwriter, I can't help but to hear profound lines in the things that people say. And so I just ferociously type out what people are saying in the one-on-ones and in the groups. And I, I share the notes with them. And either they process it into a song format or poetry or writing. Or uh, the, the ultimate goal for me is to put it into a song. So it could be ninety percent me writing the song, or they uh, they write the song entirely, but they effortlessly speak up the lyrics, and they're the some of the most profound, poignant lyrics I've heard because they're coming directly from the heart, directly from truth, lived experience. And this is this is people that have never written songs before, and then we write these things, and I I got this beautiful experience of it was an online program, but several of the people were actually people that I knew locally. And I got to be in a group with them and sing the songs for the group and tears were shed and and the moment was genuinely felt. And it was it was like this living, breathing gift uh, that, that was born of, of us coming together to do this intentional work. And I remember the, one of the most powerful stories. When I first asked her if she wanted to do the program, her whole body said no. But she said yes, in spite of that, because something was telling her something was calling her to the project and the result of it was an incredibly powerful song an incredibly affirming um breakthrough that that proved that it was the right place right time and when we we had the opportunity to get together and sing it in a group and there was a group of probably about 20 of us in the room and there was not a dry eye in the in the room it was everybody felt the truth and the power of the song Um, which, to me, I consider a process of healing, and that—that that is why uh, "Song for the Soul" exists. Is because for many, many a lonely night, I was writing songs that were speaking on behalf of my heart. Many songs I, I sung only once, out of out of just pure inspiration, and I wept as I sang them, and then I never sang them again. I did not. They—they they they served their purpose, and but here in this container we get to create songs that have a, a lasting effect where they get to listen to them over and over again and and process their wound and and share them and it turns they have this universality about them because they they they
1: speak on behalf of truth and a lot of these men that come to see you they're they have no background in writing songs whatsoever Correct. I work with seasoned artists and people that
0: have never picked up an instrument before.
1: And I always say music is, has been my medicine over the years. And so I, that's another thing that drew me to you is the fact that you're using music and songwriting to help heal these men who are seeking to fill a void that, that's been lacking in their lives. The people that come to see you, whether or, you know coaching one-on-one or in the group, are they dealing with divorce, loss of family members? What what type of, I mean, what are you encountering? Yes,
0: I mean everything that runs the gamut of human experience. There's there's divorce. There's um yeah, a, a buddy of mine had just been through a a severe and 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 abrupt divorce, and he came into our our program like a phoenix. He was. He was on fire with the the truth of his pain and it was so impactful for the rest of us i mean i was i was just deeply grateful he was there he was reluctant to come because he was in so much pain he's like man i'm just going to be a blubbering mess and i was like no you don't understand what you bring to the group is an offering it is a gift for all of us because it's permission to feel fully down you basically he basically took us so much deeper and so much faster because of where he was in his life and so it's not just that he got to be surrounded by a group of men that got to hold him and support but he his pain actually served as a gift to us to to fully experience our own our own pain to fully experience um the 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 rawness of the moment together, because there will never be another moment like this. This was sort of offered us this preciousness, but it also gave a great opportunity for healing. And since that, he and I have been in in regular contact, and I've gotten to watch as he's walked the very painful process of grieving and and reintegrating himself. Uh, And he, he is a deep affirmation for me, the importance of this kind of work not just on the on the coaching element, but just on the basic human element of being in, in relationship with each other. We need this. I mean, it, it's
1: it's the deepest medicine we have. Absolutely. And you've mentioned anger. What are the tools that you teach the men that come to see you how they can process their anger, whether it's from grief or depression, loss of employment, divorce, do you have a formulated system or do you just address it depending on if it's one-on-one? So the, it, it is very dedicated to what that person is going through and what the source of their anger is.
0: So uh, it, it begins with the process of of finding out what the roots are. So I would look at it like this. there's There's one, there's the daily patterns of your life. Say you are a father and you're dealing with regular anger towards your children. It's addressing the patterns that are something that you can anticipate every time it's bedtime, every time I try to get them to do something, every time it's a transition, looking at those patterns and knowing how to anticipate what's coming so that you can prepare your mind, body, and soul for what's about to happen and hold space for your own anger. Then there's the level of the deep roots, the the returning to the childhood home, getting back to what environment were you brought up in that trained your nervous system to respond with anger, What who was angry in your life, uh, who told you that anger was inappropriate? Where was it squashed? What are the patterns that have been there since the beginning? Those are the, those are the processes that are seemingly intellectual, but what they do is they bring you back to a place of, of somatic healing, of somatic awareness, of, of body and flesh. When you are experiencing emotions, it's in your body. It's uh, it's it's maybe triggered by a thought and maybe triggered by a circumstance, but it's 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 basically going to fully encompass your your body and knowing where the emotions occur in the body is one of the first steps. You, you look and you, and you put your attention back here. Then the next process is basically just creating as much space and awareness around that anger as possible through, through breathing, through conscious effort of noticing this is what's going on inside of me right now. And if there is a tremendous amount of anger and say you're around somebody that you should not be giving your anger to, like a spouse or a child, You'd go and take that anger somewhere. You go and transmute it into something. For for some, it's 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 worth a quick release of punching a punching bag, screaming into a pillow, putting your head underwater and screaming, uh, going for a run. It's it's also incredibly useful to realize that that anger is a powerful ally. It's a tool. It is a it is trying to tell you something that something needs to change in your life. So if you look at it through that lens, of this is information, the anger then becomes a protector rather than a monster. For me, it was a rage monster. It was something that I never wanted to give the light of day, so I squashed it and repressed it and only ever made it worse. So by reframing it as something, as like asking the question, what are you trying to tell me? What what is What is it that is hurting me or what boundary is being crossed? this reframe offers me the opportunity to, to really view anger as, as, as a valuable ally in the process of getting my life in alignment with what is most true for me. And then that anger, you know, a, a great phrase is uh, frustration is the fuel for change. If you use that frustration as a source of fuel, you can transmute it into meaningful work you know, by putting it into exercise, you can you can fortify your body by putting it into the chores or the the things that you've been putting off. You know, I call it eat the frog first thing in the morning. You know, you got the work that you really don't want to do. Just take care of that first. Eat the frog, get it out of the way, and then there's a huge dopamine release. And then I can feel released from that. Um, you know, that frustration can really be a powerful, powerful fuel. So that, that is one of the most empower, empowering things that, that can be done is to reframe the anger as something that is a, a,
1: a burden to being something that is a powerful tool. Yeah. And what about for grief, precisely? I mean, because that's such a personal thing for, for people. Grief is something that needs to be addressed with
0: great care so you know on the anger side on the changing your life side on the proactive coaching side of you know i'm going to make my life more like how i want it to be that requires this sort of masculine impulse to go and change to make impact to make waves grieving is on the other side of that coin of there is something that is living inside of you and anytime that you faced a loss or a major change in your life. I mean, the, the change of a job, the change of a, of a relationship, of, of moving a house, of moving towns, those things are, are huge events for the body, for, for the, the human animal to adjust to all of that change. It's a huge amount of stress. But But even more acutely than that, when you lose someone that you love, if you do not take the time to grieve, that grief lives inside the body. It does not go away on its own. Time does not heal all wounds. It simply lives inside the body. It gets stored, and usually unprocessed emotions get turned into disease over time. It's a lack of attention in the body that creates disease much of the time. So the process of grieving is a process of slowing down and giving our attention to what is waiting for us to give our attention to it. It's always there waiting for us. When I spoke that story of my friend who did Song for the Soul, she did not want to do it. She was very uh, viscerally, the, 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 all the things that had kept her from looking at the wound, from, from processing that loss of her father and her relationship with her father that left, what was long before he actually passed, there was a loss between them. It had closed up, it had codified, it had, it had created a shield around her heart Preventing access to being able to love him, also preventing access for her to be able to grieve, and there's not much in our society or in our culture that offers us the time or gives us the 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 capacity or even acknowledges that it's something that we need to do to to slow down, to look into our wounds, to release the stored grief, sadness, pain, and there are many cultures that have seen grief as a superpower this is something that we can do consciously as human beings but there's something that i learned that is incredibly poignant and it is actually one of the catalysts for song for the soul from the book the grief recovery handbook by the from the grief institute that says we require a witness for grieving there you can cry on your own and you can you can do that with with some uh, success or and by success, I mean some release of the grief, but it will not be fully healed until you have a witness. So there is there's deep power in having a one-on-one witness relationship and then there is even greater power of having a group witness you. To be seen by that many perspectives, that many angles, and to be held in your truth, it literally allows all of it to come out. And then the, the conscious attention being given to you by other people, it heals the wound. You think of when there's a, uh, a wound on the battlefield and they put a hot iron to it and, the, and it stops the bleeding. There, By being attended to by another, by releasing all of that, the, the the wound gets healed, the bleeding gets stopped by having our attention placed on it. So there is most certainly a a process, a, a simple step-by-step process for going back and looking at it, and that's laid out by the, the Grief Recovery Handbook. I highly recommend it to anyone who has lost anyone, which is virtually every one of us. So... Uh, that That is what we do in Song for the Soul together. And by going through that process, we happen upon great um, emotional truths that then we we crystallize into song form. It's basically just trying to to capture the the story or the the essence of of this loss and this this moment of healing in this beautiful, Gym that you get to sing to yourself
1: it's liberating also to be able to express yourself with people who are welcoming it, it with open arms yes yes and and extremely it's a release i mean i've dealt i've lost both my parents and to have that uh, that safe space where you can just let go it's yeah. it's life-changing It can sort of redirect and give you, you know, when you're in a sense of grief, it can be so overwhelming. But if you have that that type of safe space or where you feel comfortable, it can recalibrate your compass. Absolutely. I mean, it's just like being reminded that you're not alone. Yeah. It's being reminded. All the way down, and and there are so many people who are out there suffering, men and women who don't have that space. And yeah, why do you think anger? There's, I mean, it's clearly becoming more and more evident that men, in particular, they're they're not being able to express themselves and. And show their anger or their their sadness. What in society has caused that? You think currently? Oh man, <laughs> chicken or the egg. There's there
0: is so there are so many elements working against us being integrated men, and I could point my finger at countless things, but the most important principle in my life is relationship prioritizing relationship and the elements that pull us away from relationship. You know, in Iron John, he makes a case for how the Industrial Revolution pulled men out of their family units, off of their farms and put them into uh, a factory where they were separate from their sons, where their sons were not able to receive their father's teaching. Instead, all they got was their temperament when they came home. So the, the father comes home and he is angry and he is dis- disconnected from his purpose. And this is what his world is telling him is the right thing to do as a provider. And then this, his son, it receives that from his body. The, and Johnny talks about the, the father, father as, as a substance being transferred from body to body. So when you work alongside your father, you get to see how he moves, how he holds himself, how he responds to the moment. And your body just unconsciously picks that up. That's a beautiful thing that we can do as a human creature. It does not require our intellect. And if it did require our intellect, it would just interfere. It's just received directly from body to body. And if we don't have that kind of contact and interaction with our fathers, we're not going to know what it's like to be fully integrated within the masculine. You know, I, I think about how a a fatherless home is so many more times likely to create a criminal. Reason for that being, and when the boy does not get to see how the father lives within the family, by the time he becomes a man, by the time he becomes to have these these impulses to. To be, a, to be aggressive, to assert himself, to find his autonomy, to find his voice. All that that volatility, all that stuff that's being stirred up inside his spirit and body doesn't have any example of how to stay integrated within the family, how to interact with the feminine, how to be in relationship with the mother and the gentleness required for raising children. So it's natural that they would go and be catapulted into looking for the strength that they can find in brotherhood, but finding it amongst other lost men, other lost children, uninitiated men. And part of initiation is not just to go and find yourself as the warrior who can kill. That is a part of initiation. It's a step along the journey. But the, the ultimate return is learning how to be the wise king. The wise king had to learn to be in relationship with the mother and the children because the purpose of the kingdom is for the children. If the purpose of the kingdom is not for the children, if it's for the warrior's purpose, if the warrior is placed above the king, then it is for destruction, it is for possession, it is for the masculine impulse, you know, the worst examples of the patriarchy, the stuff they call toxic masculinity. But the thing is, is there is a positive warrior. There is a masculine warrior that is lost in the sands of time, and we do not have access to it in our cultural psyche. But it is something that is deeply, deeply needed and alive in the roots of being an individual man. And he finds it in brotherhood, brothers of of other men who are dedicated to the simple principle that life is worth protecting. And that that is alive and well in men that I see today that are dedicated to their families, that are dedicated to their children. But what's happening is that they have the feminine view of the masculine, which is external because they did not have their father around to live inside the embodied masculine they saw The mother's view of it, which is disassociated, disconnected, and if they're not integrated, that's not fully engulfed in love. So they do not have love for their own masculine. They live and perpetuate the same talking points of toxic masculinity. Men are pigs. I've said the same stuff, man. I've believed the same stuff, and it it prevented me from being able to fully love and accept myself, to accept the wild man within myself, the one who wants to burp and fart (laughs) and growl and punch and 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 take what's mine and and say no you know the sacred no that that is my right as an individual that is born out of being alive in the first place and that is being squashed in men and so you find you either find uh, an, an an entirely effeminate man who is not integrated with his own masculinity, who doesn't even see that masculinity is something to be proud of, or you find a man who is in complete rebellion, who is who says hell to the world, hell to the feminine, hell to the the culture that has never supported me or given me love, and he goes and becomes a destructive element, an agent of chaos, and we we we're stuck with those two. Uh, weak dichotomies. It's those are two halves of an unintegrated man. When you bring them together with the full capacity of the warrior who can say no, and also at the same swing say yes to life. You you have uh, you, we have a great opportunity to reconnect to the positive masculine, to the positive warrior, and put them in alignment with the king. Because in mythological terms, the king serves God. The warrior serves the king. The king serves God. And God is life. God is love. God is children. God is saying yes today to, to more life, to more trees, to more animals, to more fruit of our labor, to more of all of this laboring for life. Otherwise, you just end up with the nihilism that we see destroying our schools, shooting up our schools, putting fear into the hearts of every single parent. That is that is the corrosive uh entropy that is that is tearing apart our society and I see it as the heart of it all is that men need to be together and men need to connect with their children, with their wives, and they need to stay in the home and stay in the family as, as best they can at whatever cost they can, even if that means divorce, but staying in love with each other, staying in right relationship with each other because our children need to see what an integrated man is and there's We have to, as Rumi says, if you're starving, become bread. We have to become bread. Right. (laughs) We have to become it ourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about the wild man, I know you don't do this within your group, but I know you have experience with psychedelics. Were you able to encounter the quote-unquote wild man that – that uh, Robert Bly speaks of in Iron John and that you're referring to did that did psychedelics open up a new realm where you could feel that that sense of that huge void there psychedelics were a game changer
0: i've uh, mainly only worked with psilocybin mushrooms and i have done both heroic doses and microdosing the last heroic dose I did, it may be the last I ever do, because when I came back, I I had all I could ever need. It fundamentally opened me up in a way that I have not been open since I was a child. I was unaware of how I had been closed off and restricted from myself. And it opened me up in, in, in every power center of the body. I purged and purged and opened to the energy to for new refreshing energy to come into that place. And when I came back, man, the preacher was alive in me. My 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 mind was so interconnected. I could understand everything. And I I, I was so sure of what I had found. And it's taken me years to integrate that experience. But ultimately at the root of it was that I am not incomplete that I have everything within this unit that I need to feel whole. And when I came home to my family and to my children, I was what I consider myself to be the king. I felt kingly, and I felt generous, and I felt in service to them, and I felt deeply, deeply in love. And then Everything, all of my patterns, all of my doubt, all of my shit came right back online and I fell deep into fear, greater despair than I had felt in a long time because I had had it all. And then it was taken away by just being alive, by falling asleep and waking up again who I was before and it became the great work of my life to get back to that place within myself where I could trust who I was, where I could trust that the universe had my back, that I was complete. And so, yeah, to say the least, psychedelics, they, they changed the game for me. And they made me a believer on a deep spiritual level, on a, on, a, on a very simple, pragmatic, biological level. It just showed me that I needed to be inside my body. I had been regularly, I mean, it, it, it made me aware of the energy in my body. Let me put it that way. The energy is so profoundly important. So there's an energetic exchange in everything that we do we go to exercise, we go to interact with the person, we go to make food. It's an an exchange of energy. I give this, I get this. And typically what's happening is we have a scarcity mindset in our heads that tells us we're not getting enough. We have to constantly conjure new stuff. But there is a message from the universe constantly trying to get through to us saying that if you just relax, you will have everything that you need. And so it has been the the main focus of my work to f- to come to understand these energies inside my body. When I go and try to get love from my wife, you see, that's the trying <laughs> to get love. It's it's a backhanded giving. I'm trying. I'm grasping as I'm as I'm as I'm pretending to hold out my hand with love. And what's happening there is that I'm already living inside of my scarcity. I'm already certain that I don't have enough, which makes it so. I I became abundantly aware of how we create the worlds we live in. If I am afraid that you don't like me, you're not going to like me because I'm living in fear. I'm projecting the worst version of myself, the fear-based version of myself, and I'm making it true. If I do not care if you like me, if I'm certain that I like myself, you're going to like me. The Tao Te Ching says, when you accept yourself, the whole world accepts you. It's an inevitability that when we learn to accept ourselves, things start to flow because we're not restricting the flow of energy that gives us the creative, generative energy that makes us uh, magnetic, makes us uh, drawn to people and people drawn to us. So when I am living in love, even when my wife is just so pissed with me, if I stay in love and, and know that I am worthy of love, even though she's angry with me, if I stay aware, literally, it's about my awareness. If I keep my attention on my heart, on my breathing, on my solar plexus that used to tighten up all the time, if I keep myself relaxed and open, aware of what's going on inside of me and aware of her at the same time, that split attention inward and outward at the same time, that's the awareness of the energy I'm talking about. When I am in that place of love of myself, it is inevitable. It is, it is indomitable she will open up. She will relax. She will she will see and feel my love coming from a true place. And because I'm relaxed and because I accept myself, I can accept the truth that she, her anger or her fear is expressing to me. She feels fear because I have not been connected lately. She feels anger because I have not been paying attention to her now that i am paying attention to her and accepting instead of getting defensive again the defensiveness if we pay attention in the body it's a closed heart it's a shallow breath it's a tense shoulder it's a it's a it's a scowl instead of a smile that's going to be what i get the defensiveness is what i get but if i stay open and accepting of myself and i hear she feels unattended to well here's my opportunity that's the nature of the here and now. Like uh, the Eckhart Tolle's "The Power of Now," is that if I'm living in defensiveness, I'm trying to defend some shit yeah. I did in the past. That moment is dead and gone. I can't change it, no matter how sharp my argument. And if I argue sharper than ever, if I am absolutely right in how I was, I was doing the right thing. All I did is cut her to pieces. That's not. That's not connection. That's division. That's more and more separateness, more and more fear and smallness, smaller and smaller pieces. So what I want is to be one with her. I want to be one with myself and one with her. And so when I am one with myself and I am indomitably loving, she opens up. It pierces through her dark cloud. I can be I can give her what she's been asking for instead of defending the past. I can live in the present and say, here it is. Here is the love. Here is the attention that you're asking for. And then I create the world of love that I want. That's what psychedelics taught me.
1: Was there a specific moment during your heroic dose that helped you realize that there is an interconnectedness in the world and that you could give you the ability to communicate with your wife and others more effectively? Absolutely.
0: I mean, it was sort of the whole, the whole story of it. So it was a nighttime and I, I was tired and I did it anyway. And I could tell that there was something in me. Like, I, I came with great intention. I really wanted to understand unity. I wanted to understand this idea of unity between masculine and feminine. And that's my psychological uh, or philosophical pursuit in the endeavor. But I had also come to it with this underlying psychedelics are fun. This is going right. to be fun. <laughs> this, and uh, I immediately, as soon as it set in, that got brought to the surface. And I had this deep, deep sensation that I had come before God and I hadn't prepared my question. I was I was an unworthy uh, an un, just an unworthy person and I felt so much fear and despair and I, I was having many infinities collapsing on each other I couldn't tell time and I could tell I had just started and I knew this was going to go on and on forever and I was going to be trapped in the worst trip ever and I went to the moon and I tried to ask her to help me like ground me and she was just like no dude you're on your own <laughs> so I'm just like looking for a bed uh, i'm looking for comfort i go to my friend he's there but he's like in his own world i'm like you're not the right. one for me <laughs> and so i, I go and I, I i crawl up into bed i strip naked and i crawl up into this bed there's this cushy blanket and i go underneath it and i can barely see the lamp that's coming through the light of it and i, and I relax i relax deeply within my body and i'm crying and snotting all over myself I, it's, it's literally like being inside the womb and my mind is just rushing with all the images that i have been consuming lately and you know i missed an important part when i was lost and i was looking for a com- when i was looking for a safe place you know what i heard i heard my wife's voice saying go take care of your body oh nice that's great saying it like you idiot yeah. you you dumb person that I love, go take care of your body because that is what she has taught me. And you know, I have this latent fear that I can't be alone because I don't know how to take care of myself. Anytime I'm allowed to just be by myself, I I pleasure indulge to the point of sickness. And I I don't trust being alone. I need someone to take care of me. My wife taught me how to take care of my body, how to eat right, how to go to bed on time, how to have basic rhythms, how to pull away from the group when I actually need to pull away and recharge my energy. So my wife's voice told me to go get go take care of my body, and I went into bed and I and I deeply deeply fell into the hands of God, is the way a spiritual person would put it, is I I got swept up in the current of consciousness. I could feel into my body. I was I, I curled into every finger and toe, and the and the deep sensation that the words that kept repeating over and over and over were thank you, thank you. Thank you. It was the most profound gratitude I've ever experienced. And it was being ripped apart that I was grateful for. It was being disintegrated. It was a complete and total loss of who am I? Where am I? What the hell is all of this? But it was just a sense of profound images that had so much meaning inside of them. It was the beginning and the ending all in one. I could sense eternity. And In that I felt, I felt inside my body unbelievable joy. And it was through gratitude. It was through being humbled to to totally scatter any sense that I have any control at all. I don't, I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing, man. I don't know what's next. I can't control other people. You know, I talk a lot about creating worlds and and it sounds like I'm maybe being manipulative here, but it only comes from being in alignment with what's true. When I am truly in alignment with loving myself, can I bring love out in other people? It cannot be manipulative. It cannot be a judgmental, small-minded thing. It has to come from utter surrender to the truth. That that true, open-hearted place of self-acceptance is what brings that out in other people, and that's what I found, and that's what that's what I felt. I mean, again, it's it's uh, it's sort of like tapping into the great silent spirit. It doesn't come through in a clear set of words that you can then go put on a bumper sticker and save the world it comes from a feeling of knowing yourself and there is only that can only be you that experiences that you can't give it to anyone else that was actually part of the loneliness that i felt when i fell back into my doubt and scarcity so i couldn't give it to anybody else but here i am alive with it now i mean it, it comes through when i speak i feel it in my bones to, to know myself, to be alive with spirit, to know that we are alive and have tapped into an infinite, eternal thing. I mean, I, I know it more certainly than, than I know anything else. That psychedelic experience where I, it really taught me a lot about my ego. And it also, in that same go, opened me up more to music. Um, then, then, like a fire hose, just blasted open. I could. I was singing. I was on fire with spirit. I felt deeper into my voice. I explored my whole range. I growled and I went deep and I went high and I and I and I. And I and I realized I wanted to be a band leader. I wanted to lead people in music. I, I, I'm alive with it. And that's what I've been getting to do with my life. That, you know, These psychedelic experiences have taught me deep things, but it's been on me to integrate them into action. And that's that's really the great work right now, is, is putting all these things into action so that I can be, as Robert Bly talks about it, be a good container for my soul, so that I'm not just leaking out all my desires and letting other people have my energies that actually contain myself, like the, the Chinese chi, the, the, the life force that we hold inside of us. When I take somebody out on retreat, the, the, the three things, the three modalities that we're using uh, is music, movement, and meditation. So we've talked a lot about music, and movement is a really key element here of getting down into the body. Psychedelics taught me that I need to be inside my body as the primary instrument of being able to feel and receive this world.
1: Whether you're on psychedelics or not, just yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I've never been to the Ozarks, but I hear it's beautiful. How often do you give these these retreats?
0: I've got another one coming up this October. Uh, I right now I'm just running two a year: one in the fall, one in the spring, when the the weather is is lovely here. And I'm so excited about it.
1: So uh, the next one's in October, you said. That's right. Yeah. And how many men are in each group? At the retreat
0: yeah a retreat like that is is small it's usually only about 12 to 15 guys and uh 15 is usually on the high side i like to keep them intimate they are um a sacred circle of, of people that are really coming to do some work but at the same time desperately need something in their lives that are is going to open them up uh, and that's exactly what happens i mean i i would I would take credit for it in a heartbeat, you know, my ego would. But the the fact is, is that it's, it's, it's just what happens when you get a group of guys together that have that kind of intention about them. And then you throw them into nature, man. and, and, uh, I feel incredibly blessed to be living where I am. You know, growing up in Arkansas, a kid in the suburbs, I, I just thought I got to get out of this place. And went to go live in California. <laughs> and thought, oh my God, I got to get out of this place. And then I went and landed in Northwest Arkansas, and found in my backyard the Ozark Mountains and the Buffalo River, the first national river. It is one of the most breathtaking places, and it offers. Uh, I consider it to be a portal a place that is just open spiritually. It's it's ancient. It's alive. It has its own personality, its own character, and it wants you to do well. It wants you to feel vividly present. And with
1: that, (laughs) we can do anything. Yeah, absolutely. What about your one-on-one coaching? yeah so um, my my one-on-one coaching is
0: basically an opportunity and I'm I, like I said I primarily work with dads because that's the arena of which I feel is the most important work it's um, but it's it's really it's it's men who are are looking to become the best versions of themselves uh, you know my my own story is really my 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 powerhouse my my ability to speak from authority. My ability to help others comes from my own experiences, and I know what it's like to be a people pleaser. I know what it's like to have uh, that that mentality of happy wife, happy life. You know, I'm going to make her happy, and then my life will be happy. And it's like that doesn't work out. Uh, it's um, it's been some of the most profound and 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 intimate and and transformative work to work one on one with a person because. We had the opportunity to go incredibly deep and work entirely focused on how to bring about the results that they want in their life. It may not always look exactly like you think it's going to look. It may take turns that are unexpected, but the point is is to get in alignment with truth so that we can relax in our bodies, so that we can heal ourselves from our grief, from our, from our from the chains of self-limiting beliefs, and so that we can expand into who it is that we truly are. It's not just trying to become, you know, the idea of self-actualization still feels like I'm going to dream up this ideal version of myself and I'm going to force it into being. It's not that at all. It is a peeling away of the layers. It is peeling back all those ideas that say you're not all right as you are. And those ideas that say that are typically the things that are causing all of the problems in your life. So one-on-one coaching is is can be really, really groundbreaking. Yeah, that's, that's something that I offer to to those that are a good fit, to those that I feel like I can genuinely help.
1: I think that there are so many men out there that are suffering. Yes. Who need to be able to feel safe and open up to someone, a group of men, and know that it's okay and to embrace it. And I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. It's been, uh, I'm really glad we made this
0: work. It's, it's been really, it's been enlivening. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can't wait to share this with the audience and I'll circle back with you and let you know how, what I think of the book.
0: Excellent, please. I want to hear it. Maybe we'll do another one when you've read it.
1: Yeah. All right, Daniel. Well, thank you. Thank you too,
0: brother. All right, have a good one. Take care. Take care.